This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And we're here to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. Some scientists, doctors, predicting a dark winter for the U.S. Cases have shot up to record daily highs. More than 75,000 surge in deaths might follow. New model out predicts half a million deaths by February at this rate. We'll talk with one of the scientists behind the gloomy forecast. An aspirin a day, it may help with COVID. And we will talk about that little miracle pill that you may have in your medicine cabinet. <laughs> what can't aspirin do at this point? Uh, daily cases, again, all-time highs. The U.S., uh, the middle of the country, is getting hit the most. So we'll look into how the pandemic is being handled in and around the heartland. The mask debate, very much alive and well. It's actually heating up down the street from us, in fact. Restaurants still struggling. We'll check in with the restaurant owner to find out how it's going for him several months into this. Let's start with uh, a new model out that is predicting many more COVID deaths this winter. With us again is Ali Mokdad, professor of health metric sciences at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. Professor, what are the latest projections? Thank you for having me. We are, the projections haven't changed much. It came down a little bit. We are projecting between now and February 1st, 386,000 deaths. That's cumulative from the beginning till now. But the most important part, if 95% of us wear a mask, we can reduce mortality by about 60,000 deaths. Now, does this projection take into account, I, I would imagine it would, um, therapeutics like, you know, unlike at the beginning of the pandemic, we do have dexamethasone. The FDA, as you know, yesterday gave its official blessings to the uh, antiviral drug remdesivir. Are are these drugs not making that much of a difference? No, that's a very good question. Remdesivir, uh, the clinical trial showed that it cuts down the number of days of hospitalization, but not impacting as much mortality. But yes, in our projections, we are uh, adding uh, in our next release, we will add all these therapeutics that are coming out and also vaccines and how we roll them out. But unfortunately, many of these drugs, it's kind of, uh, we are in the middle of rise of our peak and winter is going to hit us very soon. They will be more likely available for everybody sometimes in April or May, which is fast, unfortunately, for the United States past our peak in uh, infection and mortality. So then it comes back to what you were saying before, that the biggest thing that can blunt a coming winter surge is to get the mask usage as high as possible. Exactly. Exactly. All what we can do right now and, you know, give our scientists and science a chance to come up with a solution. We, you and I and everybody, we have to do our part by wearing a mask and protecting each other. I was a little surprised that uh, I think California, right, is mentioned as one of the the big states where the projections are not that good. But I thought California was, by and large, doing better than a lot of other parts of the country. That's true. California did much better. You had a peak in August. Uh, but right now for California, the mask wearing is very high. Mobility is minus 35 percent. So you're doing a good job. But unfortunately for all of us in the U.S., in the northern hemisphere, 
because of seasonality of COVID-19, we're going to be hit hard with this winter. And California being the largest state we have in the United States, so you, unfortunately, will have more infection and more death. Does the flu factor in at all, positive, negative, into, into your assessment? So the flu, uh, what we have seen, the positive news for flu, what we have seen in the Southern Hemisphere is the precautions that the people took to prevent COVID-19 uh, helped in order to reduce the uh, flu epidemic at that time. So we saw less flu in Argentina and Chile and uh, South Africa. So in the United States, again, wearing a mask, keeping a safe distance, washing our hands will make this flu season less impactful on our estimates. One, two, if we can, all of us take the vaccine, that would be very helpful. Dr. Ali Mokdad, Professor Health Metrics Sciences Institute for Health Metrics Evaluation, University of Washington. Doctors have long discussed the benefits of a daily aspirin when it comes to preventing heart disease. Now there's new research that shows a low-dose aspirin can significantly reduce the risk of death and complications from COVID. So what is it about aspirin that makes it so effective? One of the co-authors of the new report is Dr. Jonathan Chow, critical care anesthesiologist at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. So doctor, what'd you find? We took a look at over 400 patients who were hospitalized with COVID uh, between the spring and the summer along the East Coast. And after controlling for uh, comorbidities, we found that these patients who were taking aspirin in the seven days before hospitalization or in the first 24 hours of hospitalization had a 44% decrease in their risk of being put on a ventilator. They were 43% more likely, less likely to end up in the ICU. And most importantly, these patients had a 47% reduction in their risk of dying in the hospital. Okay, not bad. Uh, Theories. COVID can lead to blood clotting. Aspirin has blood thinning effects. Is that maybe our relationship here? Yes, that is our hypothesis. And we have uh, personally seen this when I was working in the COVID ICU that a lot of these patients would suffer from serious blood clots that would lead to multi-organ failure. And aspirin, as common as this medication is, it has a very strong um, blood thinning properties. And that is why we think it it works so well in COVID-19. Now, I want to be really careful, and I'm sure you do too here, because we don't want people running out now who are not taking aspirin, you know, stocking up their shelves and popping an aspirin every day, uh, or, or do we? Maybe we do. I don't know. What, what, what should happen? Yes, I think the results of our study provide us cautious optimism for the role of aspirin in COVID-19. However, our study took a look back in time instead of looking forward as a randomized control trial. And it is only through a randomized control study that we can actually definitively prove that aspirin uh, decreases death in COVID. So uh, to answer your question, no, we are not recommending that 
patients with COVID-19 go to their uh, local pharmacy and start taking a baby aspirin per day. Um, instead, we are recommending that COVID patients talk to their primary care physicians who will then be able to assess if the benefits of aspirin outweigh the risks of taking a blood thinning medication. Plans for scaling it up into a more well-done study or a not-looking-back study, a looking-forward study? Um, Yes. Uh, So we have been in discussions with multiple institutions across the country about starting to perform a randomized control trial of aspirin so that we can get more definitive evidence. And in the currently ongoing uh, randomized control trials, we are trying to get aspirin incorporated into their study protocols so that we can get results quicker. So I have to ask, if you were not taking aspirin but you got COVID, would you? Um, well, I think, it, again, it's a individual uh, decision that has to be made between the patient and their doctor because... I know, but I'm asking with, you, would you, would you do it? Well, um, yes, I would. Uh, and that was a discussion that I had with between myself and my uh, primary care doctor after taking care of all of these COVID ICU patients uh, in the spring and the summer. Uh, unfortunately, one day I came home and I had a fever, I had a cough, and I had chills, um, and I immediately got tested, but it, it still takes a couple days for the test results to come back. Um, and yes, after uh, careful discussion, uh, my doctor and I made a plan for myself, and we did. Uh, I did take a aspirin a day during that time. Dr. Jonathan Chow, critical care anesthesiologist, University of Maryland School of Medicine. The new hotbed for coronavirus cases is in the middle of the country. That region avoided the worst of it back in March and April and again this summer, but it can't avoid the virus now. What is being done to try to stop it? Dr. Chris Colbert, ER doctor, assistance program director, of the emergency medicine residency program at the University of Illinois, Chicago. He talked to WBBM's Rob Hartz about if hospitals can handle the surge. Well, it's giving us a little bit of concern at this point. Um, at one point in March, we were filled to capacity, and now we're slowly, gradually seeing an increase in not only just patients that come positive for COVID, but more in admissions as well. So we're getting to the point where a lot of hospitals are now seeing admissions due to complications of COVID-19, such as respiratory distress, as well as even some GI symptoms. So it's just really important for all of us to be vigilant, as well as being safe, wearing masks, and keeping the hands washed. These uh, mitigation measures, the ones in Chicago, uh, strictly limiting the size of gatherings, uh, the 10 o'clock curfew for bars and restaurants, is that enough to make a substantial difference in uh, at least bending the curve of this particular outbreak? It is. It's extremely helpful for the simple fact that it's all about contact and exposure. Think of all the physicians that work in hospitals each and every day that just by wearing a mask and still coming in contact with patients that have COVID aren't positive. Wearing a mask makes a difference and ensuring that populations in any capacity have less time and or contact will significantly mitigate the increase and rise of the positive cases. 
And it's extremely important for us to be vigilant to ensure that as we move forward, the numbers don't move forward as well. And lastly, in terms of hospital capacity, a couple of months ago, there was some discussion about uh, opening McCormick Place as a field hospital. Uh, In your experience at UIC, are you guys handling uh, the surge in, in new cases? We are. I think a lot. The great thing about this as well is that we've learned from March and we are treating these patients a little bit differently and the management is evolving. So at this point, it doesn't translate to these patients going back on ventilation and we're having some really great evolutionary measures of managing these patients so they don't hit the ICU. Thank you very much, Dr. Chris Colbert. Coming up after this very short break, what good is mask enforcement if no one enforces it? The whole mask issue is still as polarizing as ever. It's a quick way to start a heated argument. Some cities across the country have tried to squash the debate by requiring mask wearing while out of the home. But it, well, it does, doesn't always work. Let's take Beverly Hills, for instance, right down the street from us. A mask law there. It's not really being enforced. There are regular rallies in the city with people not wearing masks, but nothing is done to stop them. Lester Friedman is the mayor of Beverly Hills. Dr. Andrew Wachtel, pulmonologist at Cedars-Sinai Hospital and a resident of Beverly Hills. So, doctor, let's start with you. What is going on there? Uh, it seems like there's a weekly rally called the Freedom Rally in uh, Beverly Gardens Park, probably between... 150 and 200 people, and the majority of people are not wearing masks and does not seem to be any enforcement of the city ordinance of mask wearing. And as you mentioned earlier, masks are the single most effective way to prevent the spread of COVID. And as a resident, I don't want uh, my co-residents to be exposed to any increased risk. All right, Mr. Mayor, we have a resident who's a doctor concerned about the rallies. I think they're going on every week until Election Day from this group. Uh, what is the deal with these, and what is the enforcement like? Sure, thank you. And, uh, you know, I happen to agree with Dr. Wachtel that um, that it is necessary for people to wear masks because I think it does slow down the spread of the disease. But I think we also have to realize that these rallies that are occurring uh, used to be at about 150 to 200. Uh, the last few weeks, it's been in the four to 500 uh, uh, person range. Uh, our police department's core mission is to protect the safety and security of the residents, visitors, uh, homes, and our businesses. And while our police have the duty to facilitate the constitutional right to protest when there are hundreds of protesters or demonstrators, the police have the discretion as to whether or not it would be an appropriate use of resources to enforce an ordinance that is solely subject to a fine or whether to ensure the safety of the community by having a presence so that opposing sides do not physically engage each other. Well, with all due respect, Mr. Mayor, that, I mean, that, that sounds good, but it, it I don't know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, to be quite honest. If, if you've got hundreds of people who are clearly breaking the law, and yeah, I get it's an ordinance, but it's still there to protect residents who live and also go through Beverly Hills. I was in Beverly Hills last weekend, and I encountered, I think, the same protest that Dr. Wachtel was just referring to. And, and yes, almost nobody that I saw was wearing uh, a mask. I mean, isn't that really the primary responsibility of any government to keep its citizens safe? And if wearing masks reduces the likelihood of the spread of a potentially deadly disease, 
What could be more important than that? I can't think of anything. Can you? Well, yes, because there have been physical altercations between the two sides that are there. There are opposing sides that show up. And I, you know, I, I would hate to see a situation where you need to have an officer or two giving out a ticket to a person, and then there is a physical altercation because the officers weren't paying attention to what was going on that was more serious. Look, our police officers encourage facial coverings for everyone who's in it in attendance there. Um, we have given out over 300 tickets for people who have not been wearing facial coverings. So it's not something that's being ignored. It just has to be put into context. Doctor, this is far from the only gathering in the county in Southern California. We've had plenty of protests. We've had plenty of rallies where mask use is not always universal. Um, and obviously there are concerns with that, but is the cat kind of out of the bag at this point? Absolutely not, because uh, the disease is getting worse. It's continuing to spread. We're expecting upwards of another 200,000 people to, to die from this disease. Uh, the mayor says they're encouraging people. I see no evidence that the police are actually encouraging people. Uh, bullhorns could be encouraging people. Ticketing some people might lead to other people taking notice. I, I, I uh, equate it to the city ignoring an ordinance for jaywalking. If you have people crossing the streets and walking in the streets and threatening just by their passive nature to uh, cause accidents in the streets, there would be no question about uh, citing these people. And COVID is a much more serious disease than jaywalking. Dr. Andrew Wachtel there, pulmonologist, Cedars-Sinai Hospital, resident in Beverly Hills, also Lester Friedman, mayor of Beverly Hills. Um, thanks to you both. Restaurants have been dealing with unprecedented challenges in this pandemic. Some were closed, then opened, then closed again, then back open. Others just shut down completely and went out of business. Let's check in with the owner of a restaurant. Jeff Lawler runs Gayhouse Cafe in Chicago. He was also on with WBBM's Rob Hart talking about how he's adapting. We've been forced to pivot. And um, for all these years, the, the experience for Gayhouse has been inside our walls. Now we've had to take our experience and bring it to outside our walls, to your home and all the fans of Fondue Dining and Gayhouse Cafe. We have put together the complete fondue experience, equipment and everything for our customers, our guests to enjoy in their homes. Uh, this is interesting because of a lot of places in the city that, uh, even, you know, the ones that are Michelin starred too, uh, that never really considered takeout unless it was uh, in the form of leftovers, uh, had to do that. I mean, thinking about Alinea, which had the entire take-home meal kits. Uh, before you developed, uh, before you, you, you marketed the uh, take-home fondue kit, uh, was there a lot of testing just to make sure this actually traveled and the customer could do it at home? There was. Um I've had uh, friends, family, had my insurance guy do it, had my attorney do it, and uh, just to make sure that we have all our T's crossed and our I's dotted for a successful program. Uh, thinking to the, the song, New York, New York, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. As a restaurateur, if you could make it through coronavirus, do you think you're going to be superhuman as a business person once this is over? 
You know, uh, being um, with Gay House, uh, Gay House has been a successful restaurant. I've been with Gay House for 26 years now. I made my mark over the 26 years, but I came into an already very well-established, successful restaurant. Now, if I, as the proprietor of Gay House, make it through this storm, okay, and we will make it through this storm, I really feel like, okay, I've earned my stripes for Gay House, and uh, it will make me a better entrepreneur. Well, he's uh, your Jeff Lawler. He's uh, he's uh, getting his uh, his shoes fitted for Spurs. Hopefully, once uh, once this thing ends, Jeff Lawler, proprietor of Gay House Cafe, three forty West Armitage, uh, celebrating its fifty fifth anniversary this year. You may have heard about this before. The FDA has given its approval for the first drug specifically to treat COVID nineteen. Uh, it's called Remdesivir. It's an antiviral drug. It's given to people in the hospital through an IV. The National Institutes of Health found the drug cut the time to recovery by five days from 15 days to 10 on average in a large study. It had been authorized for use on an emergency basis since spring. It works, by the way, by inhibiting a substance the virus uses to make copies of itself. Find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Rates, Review, if you have the time. As always, stay well. Stay well.